Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to Episode 6 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And before we do anything else, I want to take just a minute and wish everybody a very happy Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, this is the day that Jesus Christ came in to the city of Jerusalem and fulfilled the prophecy and let everyone know that he is the King of Kings that came to save us all from our sins. So, happy Palm Sunday to everyone that's listening. I also want to just give you a little bit of background about me as I do each week. One of the things that I love to do is to listen to Christian music because it really just fills my soul and brings me great joy. And I wanted to instill that love of music in my kids as well. And so that's going to tie into one of my very special guests today. I also absolutely love shows and movies about the presidency. And one of my favorite shows in particular is The West Wing. You may not be familiar with that show. and It ended a couple of years ago, but it's one of my favorite shows about the presidency and one of my very special guests uh, is from that show. So more to follow on that in just a minute. For those of you that may not have listened to the show in the past, I want to just briefly give you an idea of the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders, following the example that Jesus Christ gave to us. Each week, I have two very special guests that offer hope and encouragement by telling you their stories and how they focus on servant leadership. And I truly believe that when people dedicate their lives to honoring God, that that will create blessings that follow just as a natural byproduct. We don't serve others to receive blessings. We serve others to honor God. But blessings just naturally follow from that when you do honor God. And in the past several weeks, I've had multiple guests in multiple different areas. In the topics of business and military, the Honorable Patrick Murphy, Colonel Retired Dean DeCibidio, the Honorable Ken Wong, and Rear Admiral Retired Kent Davis. In the area of faith, Pastor Phil Caparelli, Reverend Jimmy White, and Mr. Chris McCall. And in community, Lieutenant Commander Kristen Leone, Nicole Emilio Casper, and Mr. Bob Frollo. I also want to give a shout-out to local veterans in the listening area of this station, and especially to Miss Denise Black that was able to connect me with Mr. Furley last week. I want to encourage you that if you see a need in your area, whether it be in business, military, faith, community, or even your family, when you see a need, you should feel a need because we're all given very special gifts by God, and we're all called to be ministers. We're all called to serve one another. And so my guests for today do that in very unique ways. My first guest is Miss Melissa Fitzgerald, and she was an actress on The West Wing, and she's also a director at NADCP, the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, and so I'm so glad to have her on today. My second guest is Mr. Steve Burton. He's a musician, a songwriter, a worship leader, and he's also been the music teacher for both of my children. So when we come back from the break, We're going to be joined by Miss Melissa Fitzgerald. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1990 to 2020. For 30 years, the most trusted name in South Jersey news. News Talk 1400 WOND. South Jersey's News Talk, 1400 WOND. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Miss Melissa Fitzgerald. Melissa, you're on the line. Hey, Paul. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for joining today. It is my pleasure. I'm so excited for you that you're doing this radio show and that you're writing a book. Very exciting. It is all very exciting, Melissa, and I owe so much of it to you and the inspiration that you are to me and so many other people. Well, you're you're kind and generous to say that. I think this is all you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melissa, so many people know the work that you've done on The West Wing. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about how, when, and why you got into acting and then how you got the role in The West Wing? Sure. Um, well, first of all, hearing that uh, The West Wing theme song plays, you know, uh, right before I came out, it always makes me feel emotional. Yeah. And I don't think it's just because I was on the show, but I, I, I think that uh, Snuffy Walden is the composer and does such an incredible job um, with that music. It's very emotionally evocative, I think. It um, is. I love it. But anyway, yeah, me too. <laughs> but um, I always wanted to be an actor. I, I didn't actually think I would be able to. I didn't know anybody who was an actor. Um, my dad's a lawyer. My mom worked at universities and also was executive director of a nonprofit, Pennsylvania Society, as a matter of fact. And um, you know, my dad was an assistant district attorney my my whole childhood and a judge for my adult, adult years. Um, so acting wasn't something that... Uh, it just wasn't something that I saw. I didn't have a lot of role models for, for how you had a life as an actor. Um, so I really didn't think that maybe I would ever do it, but I always wanted to. And after I graduated from college, um, I went to University of Pennsylvania. I moved to New York and um, found a drama school just honestly by buying the Backstage, which is an actor's newspaper. <laughs> and, um, so I bought Backstage and I looked at, Places and I saw, oh, Herbert Berghoff Studios and uh, Uta Hagen and Herbert Berghoff were legendary acting teachers. And um, I took classes with them, and I was also taking a class with Sandy Dennis, and she said, you know, there's a whole program, it's a conservatory program at the Neighborhood Playhouse that my friend Lee Grant went to and said was fantastic. And I said, oh, I want to look at that. So I looked there, and I ended up going to... Um, to the Neighborhood Playhouse, which was a wonderful um, conservatory, two-year uh, theater program, and it's still there. And actually, coincidentally, Alice and Danny went there as well. Wow. But um, 
and she was just a couple years ahead of me, so we we did not overlap our time there. But um, but I went there and then stayed and did theater in New York and then moved to Los Angeles and did kind of the usual actor life auditioning. But you know, when I was in New York, I remember my one of my first auditions. There was a line around the block of women about my age, <laughs> my type, and I thought, hmm, I don't think I'm going to have a career this way. And I ended up uh, with some friends from acting school starting a small theater company, and we produced a bunch of plays, and yeah. uh, and actually did pretty well producing those plays, which gave us the opportunity to play parts that stretched us a little, things we wanted to do, stories that we wanted to tell, yeah, and um, and that. Uh, Aaron Sorkin came to one of those plays, and that ultimately, I think, led to to my getting an audition and getting on the West Wing. That is such an incredible story, and what I love about it is how God just orchestrated the entire thing for you, things that you would have never anticipated or foreseen. You just kind of followed your heart, and God just orchestrated the entire thing for you, including you know, your relationship with Alice and Jenny that took place years later and how you just followed your heart with a theater company and how that led to your role in the West Wing. It's so inspirational, Melissa. Oh, thank you. I, do, I feel like I was, I've been very fortunate in my life, and um, you know, I know there are a lot of actors out there who are wonderful and incredibly talented that didn't. Uh, have the the good fortune that I've had, and I that's not lost on me. Um, and uh, I've just loved every minute of being involved in the West Wing and the friendships, and um, just the 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 whole experience was magical. Well, Melissa, I know that you and I have had a lot of conversations in the past about servant leadership and what that means and how we live that out. I, I wonder if you can share with us how you were able to serve your coworkers both on and off screen during your time in the West Wing. That's such a good question, and I, I feel like I didn't serve anyone, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, because Mary McCormick and I are writing a book about the West Wing, about our experience and the ripple effects of it, and and so we've been reconnecting, interviewing pretty much every, you know, lots of people who are involved in the show. And um, one of the things that has been very consistent is, you know, that everybody showed up to play. Everybody came to play. Everybody knew their lines. Everybody showed up on time. Everyone was bringing their A game every single day. Mm-hmm. And when everybody's bringing their A game and, in addition, being good people, being kind and generous to each other, um, you can create something really special. Um, you know, Martin Sheen really set an example for all of us in that way of how we would treat each other on that set. He treated everybody with dignity, with respect, and everybody, no matter what your position was on that show, no matter what you did, um, you were treated by Martin Sheen with a tremendous amount of respect. And um, and that had an impact, I think, on how we all felt about our contribution to the show. Yeah. Everybody contributed, and we all valued each other's contribution on the show. And that made it very special and kind of an egalitarian set in a way. Um, really special. I, I, I love how you talked about Martin Sheen and his example of just being kind and generous and respectful. I've worked in many different organizations and units where sometimes the leader isn't respectful. 
and they get really full of themselves and say, well, this is my organization, you're going to do it my way, and da-da-da-da-da, and they kind of view everybody else as less than themselves, and everybody is supposed to kowtow to them. But that's not what I'm hearing about Mr. Martin Sheen, and certainly I've seen you represent that idea of being kind and generous just in the brief interactions that I've had with you. Oh, you're sweet to say that. I, I aspire to being more and more like Martin and, you know, and, and I feel like my parents are like that too. And, um, and, and you are certainly like that. Um, but Martin, I mean, the leadership on that show overall was spectacular in yeah. that way. Um, and, and, and the more that I talked to people that were involved in the show about their experience, um, the, it, it's just consistent. We all have that same experience. And, you know, working with Allison Janney and watching how she, she's just the most generous actor and person. And um, when a guest star would come on the show, for example, you know, that's, it's tough to walk into a show that you're only going to be working a day or two and, you know, everybody else on that show has been working together for four years, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, a lot of times the regulars won't, give a lot of attention to the person who's coming in for a day or two because they're going to be gone. Right. Um, but Allison always, and, and I just saw Allison do it the most because I worked with Allison the most, she always made an extra effort to welcome the, you know, whoever that was who was coming in for a day or two and make them feel like they were part of the team. And I, I know certainly Martin did, everybody did that. Um, I just saw Allison do it more. But, um, I, I really think that it was, uh, well, I learned a tremendous amount, and I try to carry that into other things that I do um, because it really did create such a special environment. So just for clarity for the listeners, Melissa, Allison Janney is C.J. Craig that you worked with on The West Wing, correct? That was her name on the show? Yep. Her, her character's name was C.J. Craig, and she was the press secretary. Um, and I played her assistant, and, Carol. Right, Carol Fitzpatrick was your character, right? Correct, yes. And, you know, just very briefly, I think even in your character, because I watched the show from start to finish, every single episode, and after I met you, I went back and revisited it, and I just <laughs> love the way that you portrayed your character, because, you know, CJ was obviously your boss, but you never portrayed her in a position of, you know, somebody that was authoritative to you or mean to you or anything like that. You were always just serving her and making her job easy in every way that you possibly could, just in your role as that character. I, I love the way that you portrayed Carol. Oh, you're very sweet to say that. It was, it was you know, it's pretty easy to um, to play an assistant to, uh, to somebody who's being... Uh, played by Allison Janney because as an actor she is just so obviously gifted yeah um and it's like playing tennis with somebody who's better than you (laughs) you play better well you know on that note I just want to briefly talk about uh, a few months ago you did a another work with Mr. Martin Sheen and it was just the two of you together and I had an opportunity to watch that and it meant so much to me. One, that you even invited me. And two, just watching your portrayal of your character truly brought me to tears because it, again, brought out that notion you're talking about of being kind and generous and loving to people. Would you just briefly talk about that as well? Sure. It's um, the, the play is called Love Letters, and I, I 
It's by A.R. Gurney, the playwright A.R. Gurney. And I think it's a beautiful play. Um, and it's about love and loss and friendship and, um, and Martin had asked me to do it with him as a fundraiser for uh, this woman, Sister Terry, runs a reentry program in California uh, for women who have been incarcerated uh, for a long time and who are reentering society. And she has, you know, training, education, uh, and, and actual physical homes. And she runs this incredible program. So he wanted to do a fundraiser for her for that. And he said, and we can do one for your organization too and and it, we didn't do a fundraiser but we wanted to do it at our national conference last may uh for the national association of drug court professionals which mm-hmm. is the organization that i work for and um and which i can get into too because martin introduced me to that organization and to basically i blame him for for now that i work there and, <laughs> and, and in a good way and um so I said, actually, that would be great, Martin. Let's do it at our national conference because we were going to be in Anaheim last May. And, of course, um, because of COVID-19, we ended up doing a virtual conference. And of all the plays in the world, it's really one of the only ones that I can think of that would work really well on Zoom because it's a two-character play. And they, until the very end of the play, never even look at each other. They're just supposed to be reading the letters that, that they'd written to each other over the course of their lifetimes from when they were little children until until death. Yeah. And um, it was, I, I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to to get to act in, in anything with the great Margie, <laughs> let alone a, a two-person play as beautiful as that. I, I feel so lucky that he asked me to do it and that he was willing to do it for our, our organization. So um, just as an artist and as a human being, I'm, that will be a memory that I will hold close to my heart forever. Yeah, that was a really incredible performance. And when is your conference this year, Melissa, for uh, NADCP? Oh, it is August 15th through 18th. It is, and I'm in Washington, D.C. right now, so it is in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And um, it is the largest conference in the world on the front lines of addiction, mental health, and justice system reform. Um and we will have, usually, our conference has about 6,000 attendees. It's four days, hundreds of hours of training. And we have special events, too. We have an opening and closing ceremony that I would say it is like a Broadway, they are like Broadway shows. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> They're huge productions. There's music. There's speakers. Um, there are graduates of treatment courts. And, um, and that is what we do. We do treatment courts. And treatment courts are basically uniting public health and public safety to transform the justice system's response to addiction and mental health disorders. Um, we, uh, they're the most successful intervention in our nation's history for leading people living with substance use and mental health disorders out of the justice system and into lives of recovery and stability. Um, today, 150,000 people across the country are receiving life-saving treatment 
in one of the over 3,000 treatment courts across the country. That That is absolutely... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just thinking there's 150,000 people, and, and, and they have people in their lives. They have family. They have friends. So the, the ripple effects of, of them getting the treatment that they need and the help that they need, uh, it, it can't be overstated, I don't think. Um, you know, and, and I, we always talk about that we uphold the enduring absolute value of every person. Um, we ensure that evidence-based treatment and recovery solutions are available instead of incarceration. Yeah. And it obviously is strict accountability, but it's also compassion. Yeah. And I think seeing the hope and humanity in every person allows people to rise and to thrive. I love that. Well, Melissa, we have about a minute left, and I just want to go oh, back no. briefly to <laughs> something that you had said in the beginning of the conversation. When I asked you about acting, you said you didn't think that you'd be able to. And in the yeah. time that I've known you, you've been such a motivation to me. And I got to believe that your work with NADCP and your work on the West Wing, you've been a motivation to countless others. I, I wonder what your encouragement yeah, okay. and recommendation would be to those listening that may not think that they're able to do whatever they have in their heart, whatever that passion might be. Well, we are here for a very brief moment on this planet. And if there is something that you want to do, do it. Because this is it. It's not a dress rehearsal. It's showtime, baby. And <laughs> you can do it. And the other thing is, if that one thing doesn't work out the way that you hoped it, it would, it doesn't matter because you'll learn something from it and then something else good will come out of it. If you, know, if you had asked me when I was in acting school that I would be working on behalf of justice system reform and I would have taken my theater program and worked with you know, at-risk teens in Los Angeles and then gone and worked with former abducted child soldiers in Uganda, I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah. And perhaps if I had become a movie star right out of acting school, I wouldn't have done those things. But I didn't become a movie star right out of acting school. And I never became a movie star, but I've gotten to do really incredible things and, and use my training in ways I never thought of, I never could have imagined. So failure is not the enemy. Amen. Not trying is the enemy. Amen. Melissa, I can't thank you enough for being my guest today. Oh, thank you, Paul. And congratulations. You are a true inspiration to me. So thank you and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Melissa. All right. When we come back from the break, we'll be joined by Mr. Steve Burton. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, Contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I am joined here today by Mr. Steve Burton, Jr. Steve, are you on the line with us? I am. How are you, Paul? I am very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. It's my pleasure. So, Steve, there's so many different things I want to talk to you about, but... One of the things that's closest to my heart is what you've done with and for my kids as their music instructor. Would you mind just sharing with us briefly how, when, and why you got started in music and as a music teacher? 
Sure. Um, well, I, I, my dad's a musician, so I've been around music all my life. Um, uh, and I'm actually, uh, for, for the, I would say the first 15, 20 years of being a musician, I was self-taught. Okay. And so um, I didn't read music and all, and and I was not very confident, you know, in it because of that. Yeah. So finally, I, I did go to school for music, and I made friends with a professor um, who encouraged me to take students. And I, I said, well, you know, I'm not that far along. He's like, he encouraged me that I actually had quite a bit of knowledge. I just didn't realize it. So he encouraged me to take my first student. And then um, before I knew it, I got a second one and a third one, and I had a business on my hands. Wow. Um, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> wow. And That's how, pretty much how I got, got into it. How many students do you teach on a weekly basis now? Right now I'm at about 15. Or, um, I think it's about 15. The most I've ever had is, I want to say 30 or 32. Uh, I've been taking on some different work as far as like editing uh, podcasts. I have some recording clients, stuff like that. So I've pared it down a little bit. Okay. And what's kind of the demographics of your students? Is it all young kids like mine or what's that look like for you? It's mostly young kids. I have taken on adults. I've actually um, had someone in his 60s once. Um, wow. So it's never too late. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, but it's mostly kids. Well, Steve, how would you say that your lessons help your students, including uh, older people, to grow and develop as individuals? What, is, what does that look like for your students? Um, well, I, a lot of people don't realize it takes a lot of discipline to, to like, learn an instrument. Yeah. It, you know, it's not something that just happens overnight. It's more of a journey. And if you don't have the discipline to keep showing up and, and putting in the, uh, the practice time and all that, um, you just, it just won't happen. It won't work. Yeah. So if you don't develop, um, you know, habits of, of disciplining yourself to practice and everything, um, it just won't work. So, you know, the ones that make it and do well are the ones that develop those habits. So that's, that's one of the biggest things that can contribute. You know, it's also good for problem solving. Like no matter how, how talented a student may be, eventually they hit the wall where it just, you know, it's challenging them beyond their ability, and then that's when they have to figure out, well, how do I attack this problem? How do I get around this obstacle? And a lot of what I do is just teaching them how to, to look at it and break it down to the point where they can, you know, digest it. So, Well, Steve, I just want to publicly thank you for what you've done for my kids. I mean, my son studied under you for quite a while, and, you know, he plays three or four different instruments now. And a lot of that is because of what you've done for him. And he has such confidence and boldness now. Like he loves playing for people at Christmas time and he plays guitar for his girlfriend. And my daughter, she goes around the house singing all the time because of your lessons and what you've been able to teach her. And, you know, starting with the piano and all of that, I've just seen them grow tremendously because of you. Oh man, that's my pleasure. You got good kids though. I mean, they're amazing. Um, that's part of the just the payoff for me is just knowing that you know kids are enjoying it. I mean, and most most people have music inside them. It just it just has to be unlocked and let out most of the time. Yeah. So, and confidence is a big part of it. So. Yeah. Well, Steve, I wonder how do you incorporate faith into your music? I know that's a big thing for me, and I'm sure it is for you as well. Oh yeah, it's it's actually mostly I, I'm actually the um, the music director at my church. I'm their their lead worship leader. Um, so really most of the, the public music that I do is, is worship music for my church. That's 90% of the public music that I do outside of teaching. I teach and I'm part-time on my church staff. So between the two, that's most of what I do. So for people that are listening that might have a different church background than you and I, can you just briefly explain what a worship leader does? Oh, sure. Um, 
I'm, I'm responsible for all the, all the music that goes on in my church. Everything from like the songs we sing during the services, um, running rehearsals, scheduling, um, uh, special music like for like uh, Christmas and Easter productions. All all the planning and all the you know the the song selection, all the you know the practice time that goes into all that. That's what I do in the background. And then on Sundays, I actually lead the songs that we sing okay. um, for the congregation. So in a nutshell, that's what it all comes down to. That is great. Now, I know that you said that you were self-taught and your dad was a musician. Were you a worship leader right. first or were you a music teacher first? Ah, that's a good one. Um, I guess they almost happened around the same time. I, I was probably in worship but maybe a few years before I actually started teaching. Okay. Um, but I, I've been playing since um, the keys since I was about, I want to say, twelve or thirteen. Wow. Yeah, um, and then impressive. I started. Well, I've been. I played. I think I played keys starting in youth group around fifteen or sixteen. Stayed playing for church, and then in my twenties, I started actually leading worship. So. That's impressive to be doing that at such a young age. I love that. Yeah, I. I, I, I kind of sometimes blow my students away. I say, I've been you know, doing this longer than you've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, so. Like, it, you've been doing this for such a long time. What's your most memorable moment You know, of the entire music career that you've had? What really stands out to you is, man, I can't believe I got to do that or that happened. Oh, that, that's... Uh, well, I've, I've opened for... I've been a part of uh, some teams that have opened for... Um, there's a worship leader named Rick Pino. Um, I've opened for him. I've opened for a worship leader called Eddie James. Okay. Um, uh, probably one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever had is uh, once after a worship set at my church, um, people came up to tell me that a deaf person was in the audience. Um, and during the worship, uh, during the music I was playing, their ears actually opened up without oh even being prayed for. Wow. Um, and, yeah, to this day, I'm still just blown away by that. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, you never know what's going to happen in a worship service. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Steve, yeah. I, I know that you know you have the worship leader thing going on, and you got the music instructor thing going on. How does that equate to service for you? How do you feel like you're serving others in that capacity through leading in worship? What does that look like for you? Well, um, like music is, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard, you know, music is that universal language that everybody can connect with and, and relate to. Um, and what I find, at least in, like, church, as far as um, leading the worship part of it, um, the, like, singing songs as a congregation, it, the music actually brings everybody together, like, around something that they can unify around. Yes. Um, so it's like a unifying bond point. And it serves to bring us all as one, you know, into like unity as we gather around the song, and, and we use that as an expression to worship. So it's a, it's like a unifying agent in a service, and that, that that's like my role of serving the body of Christ is to, to provide that. You know. And it really does set the tone. I mean, in all the yeah. churches that I've ever been to, like when you go to a place for the first time, a lot of your first impression is based on how you feel the worship is. Is it alive? Does it make you feel like you're coming alive and give you a true passion and connecting right. with the other people of the church? Or does it feel empty and dead inside? Right, yeah. I mean, it, it really does give um, this like subconscious impression you know, before anyone even has a chance to think about it. You know, I mean, it's like first impression. <laughs> you 
you can learn a lot about a church by by its music. Yeah, for sure. What kind of effect have you seen your music and the worship that you've been able to lead? How does that affect the lives of the people that you serve? You know, you mentioned the unifying. Have you seen like people come to Christ because of that? I I I have. Um, I I I would say like at least for our local body, like um, I've been at my church for just about twenty years now, so. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the same place, yeah. and what, at least the way we use worship at our church is, um, we, you know, we tend to take our time, and, you know, sometimes we'll take, you know, third before you get to preaching the Word, and what it does is, it allows everybody, I think what it does is it um, it softens you, it opens your heart to be receptive for, yes. for when the Word is preached and the Gospel is preached. Yes. It's like, it, bring down, it brings down barriers in people, yeah. you know what I mean, where might not be reachable before that. What would you say is your favorite worship song? Is there something that most helps people to soften their heart and be ready to hear the word and receive it? That's probably one of the hardest things for me to choose because it's always changing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd say right now, um, they're, you know, the ones that I kind of go back to a lot, there's a, there's a song called Goodness of God. Uh, I love I that song. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it just says everything that I need to say sometimes. Absolutely. I mean. Love that. Um, there's another another song by William McDowell called Stay, and it, it's this real intimate song, and it starts out with the lyrics are, I know what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord uh, when you don't have to say a word, you don't have to make a sound. I mean, it's just, he's making everything just perfect just by just being there in the moment. It's a really good song. Um there's a, I think there's a song called Mountain High by Jonathan and Melissa Helser. They're the ones that did No Longer Slaves. Okay. I'm really, yeah, been into it. There's just, just so many. Anything written by Martin Smith. He's like the old lead singer from Delirious. Well, I, I love all those songs, especially The Goodness of yeah. God. But I got to tell you, one of my favorite songs was written by this guy I know about how God is good oh, yeah? to us all the time. <laughs> Well, thank you, man. That, that, you honor me. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I, I, I would wonder if in the last minute or so, we have two minutes left, um, if, sure. if you would just tell us a little bit about that song. Like, how did you become this songwriter, and how did that song come to you, and what does it mean to you? Well, uh, songwriting is, is something you kind of, once you, you write one little song that works, you're kind of hooked. Um, but to me, it, it gives expression to kind of where I'm at, sometimes in my walk with God. That that particular one, um, I had just come through like probably one of the toughest times in my life. I had just come through a, a divorce, and um, I had realized when I started writing the song that um, I got to the other side of this really ugly thing, and I was okay, and God was the one that got me there. Yeah. Um, and I just realized, man, He was there the whole time, but even when I didn't realize it. Yeah. And so this, the, the chorus just came out really, really quickly. I wrote the chorus in about 15, 20 minutes. And then it took me about four or five years to write the verses. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no, to a uh, true story, I, I finished it actually right before Christmas, this last Christmas. So Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It just never felt right. I've learned not to, to try to force it. So. <laughs> and Steve, for our listeners, what is the full name of the song so they can listen to it? Good to me all the time. Good to me all the time. I, Steve, I got to tell you, it is one of my favorite songs. You know, I listen to Christian music all the time, as I mentioned in the beginning of today's broadcast. But 
it is absolutely one of my go-to songs. So now oh, in thanks, the last minute of our time, um, I, I'm curious, like, what would be your recommendation to people that want to dedicate their life to music? And, you know, I heard you and my previous guest, Melissa, both say that, you know, you didn't know if you had what it takes, you know, and um, yeah. you were talking about being self-taught and you weren't sure if you were, you know, able to be a musician. You weren't sure if you had the ability to teach others. What would you say to aspiring musicians? I would say just start. Um, don't let your, your own inhibitions or doubts about yourself keep you from starting because it really is a journey. It's not something you just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're good at. Um, it's something you have to work at. And, but a lot of people never just take the first step and start. Um, so just you know, get over yourself, get over your fear, and just start. And don't worry how you stack up against other people. Um, comparison is probably one of the biggest vision killers when it comes to musicians. Yeah. Um, so you just got you got to start, and then and then I learned early on to just ask God to teach me. Yes. Um, be, you know, I, I say I'm self-taught, but it's not 100 percent true. I remember praying as a young man, God, I want you to teach me how to play, yes. and He did. So. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the show, for blessing me and so many others with your song, and for the work that you're oh, doing to you teach my kids, me. Steve. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, Steve. Thank you so much. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership we've heard from today's guest. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And the man, you have always had my back. You are good to me all the time. And when I finally cross over to the other side and join with all nations, You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, I want to just briefly talk about what we've heard from our guest. Today was such a powerful testimony from two incredible individuals. In the area of business and the workplace, I love what Melissa Fitzgerald said about the example that was set by Mr. Martin Sheen on the set of The West Wing. Be kind and generous to everybody that you work with, regardless of somebody is your superior or somebody that is supposed to be working for you. Be kind and generous to everyone and show people dignity and respect. I, I love that so much. And there's so many things that we can do in our everyday workplace just to show kindness to other people and to show them love as we're commanded to do by Jesus Christ. You can serve other people in your community. You heard from both Melissa and Steve. They've taken their very unique giftings of acting and music, and they've now literally blessed so many people across the country, people that can watch the productions that Melissa has done, people that can listen to the music that Steve does, that he does in his regular church. They're blessing others through their gifts within different media channels. And you can hear how you serve others through faith. You heard Steve talk about how when he was leading worship at one particular service, there was a deaf person in the service. They said they were able to hear the music. A person that was completely deaf could hear the music because 
somehow God worked a miracle in that service through Steve's work, through Steve's music. So, again, my point to you is you can serve people no matter where you're at, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, you can serve other people. You know, each week I talk about how when you put good into the universe, it comes back to you. And I just briefly want to tell you two quick stories. So last night I had the great opportunity to go to dinner with my friends. Uh, Names Dino and Kelly. And I've been friends with Dino for the last 30 years. And we just uh, were going to go out on a double date. And it was fully my intention to split the bill. And Dino comes back and he says to me, no, I'd like to buy the bill. Uh, I'd like to pay the bill because you've done for us in the past and I want to do something for you. And that completely took me by surprise. was not expecting that at all. But it meant so much to me that, you know, I, I only just want to try to do good for him and for his family and, you know, just show love in every way that I could. But the fact that he gave something back and made that small gesture just really meant a lot to me. And earlier this week, I had an opportunity to have different meals um, with each of my kids. I went out uh, for a meal with each of my kids earlier in the week individually. And during that time, I saw how much they had grown and matured into young adults. My son is 17 and my daughter is going to be 13. And it just blessed my heart so much to see that what I had poured into them and tried to show love to them over the course of their lives, that has come back to me and really just blessed me in seeing their maturity and how much they had progressed over time. And it was just such a wonderful conversation. So I would continue to encourage you, put good into the universe because it does come back to you in blessings that you can never anticipate. Listen, next week we have two more incredible guests. I have Mr. Dean Wegner. Dean is a veteran, he's a business owner, and he's a family man, a, a guy that I absolutely respect tremendously. I also have uh, Nikki and Andy Lucas. They're sisters, they're professional gift givers, and they are the owners of a business called Days of Gifts. I referenced this company a couple of weeks ago in relation to uh, some gifts that I had given to my mom for her birthday month. But you're going to hear a lot more about the work that they do next week. I want to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple Podcast mailing list through my website at reverenddrpaul.com. That's R-E-V-D-R-Paul.com. And finally, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at or what you're doing, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. I thought by now they fall But you have never felt me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never felt me yeah. Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your